I have a cookbook. This is called Greatest Great Tasting Potatoes. So there's all kinds of things in here about potatoes. Now, um, I'm German uh, descent from German, and, uh, and my parents, uh, Judy's family, and Cecile, Judy and Cecile's sisters, their family, our predecessors, came from Russia. So, so our predecessors early on, the German people were invited by Catherine the Great, who was German, married into Russia, invited all kinds of German people to come to Russia. And they offered them free farm land, no taxes, no military service. They were good farmers. They wanted to have uh, farming, good farm practices there in Russia. So they invited all these Germans to come over to Russia. So they went to Russia. Things were pretty good for a while. And then the leadership changed and things weren't so good. And all those people exited out of, a lot of them exited out of Germany, uh, out of Russia and came to the United States, came to Canada, uh, came to South America and uh, we had some church members uh, in Nebraska uh, and he was from South America uh, Brazil married a gal from Nebraska I was looking at some of his photos one day family photos and his mom she looked just as Caucasian as anything and I says well where's your mom from well she said he said she was a, a German I believe that had come from you know from Europe just like our ancestors did, but they ended up in South America rather than North America. Anyway, potatoes, to the German people who came to South Dakota many years ago, potatoes were a great thing. It was a staple. They didn't have a lot. So we call them the meat and potato people. They had meat and they had potatoes and, and dough. They were good. They could do lots of things with meat and potatoes and dough. So I have a cookbook here with, uh, with all kinds of recipes in here about potatoes. And uh, so I have a couple of potatoes. <clears throat> so this is a regular potato. And this is a sweet potato. And so we've got potatoes. Good potatoes, a staple. Now the question that I have for you this morning is, would you rather have, the best combination is if you can have the cookbook and the potatoes, but if you had to choose between one or the other, would you rather have the cookbook or would you rather have the potatoes? I didn't see any, I didn't hear any kind of a unified answer on that. Okay, <clears throat> so he's voting for the cookbook. How many of you'd rather have the cookbook? Okay, how many of you'd rather have the potatoes? <clears throat> Why would you rather have the cookbook? You can't eat it. You can get the potato from You can't eat it. Okay, she said she can't eat it. Why would you rather, okay, for those of you who wanted the potatoes, why would you want the potatoes rather than the cookbook? What's that? It's nourishment, right? Will you get nourishment from the cookbook? You gotta, you only get nourishment from the potatoes, all right? So here's, here's the illustration. <clears throat> the illustration is that uh, 
Well, let me, let me say it this way. <clears throat> when God created the world, how did he do it? Just spoke. And the Bible says he spoke and it happened, right? He spoke, so there's power in the word, right? There's power in the word. Whether you have the spoken word of God or whether you have the written word of God, there's power in it. So there's as much power in the written word as there is in the spoken word. So we say, this is the written word. There's power in the word of God. Whether we speak it, whether God speaks it or writes it, there's power in this. So this has power in it. Now there's all kinds of there's all kinds of books about spiritual things. You can read, you know, we have daily devotionals, my wife and I, and a lot of us read, and they have a Bible text in there, and that's good. So so that's good. But there's all kinds of books. I have a book at home about parables. And it tells me a lot about the parables of Jesus. So, um, you know, Jesus had all kinds of parables, talks about the parables. There's all kinds of books about people in the Bible, and those are all good. It's like the cookbook. But if you're really going to get the nourishment, you have to go to the right place, right? And that is this book. This is the nourishment. And the real nourishment that comes from this book is one central figure, and that is this man by the name of Jesus. Now, a lot of religion can happen. And there's a lot of religious people in the world. But religion and Jesus, if I can say it that way, are not necessarily the same thing. You understand what I'm saying? So we want to, if we're, if we're going to have a changed life and we're going to get nourishment, it has to come from the right place. And Jesus said, when he compared himself, now there was one other thing that the old Germans could do a lot with, and that was dough. They didn't have a lot of extra fancy things. They raised, you know, raised a lot of their own food. But if they had three basic things, if they had, had uh, uh, potatoes and meat and dough, they could do a lot of things. Now, my mother used to, used to cook something called strudels. And strudel, she would make this right kind of dough and she would lay it out on the table, roll it out a little bit, and then she'd start pulling on it. And she'd pull on it and she'd stretch it and she'd pull on it. And she'd take a piece of dough that was about this big and she'd start pulling on that and stretching on it until it covered the whole table and it was just thin, almost paper thin. In fact, there were little holes in it someplace where she'd pull. And then she'd take that and she'd roll that up and roll rolled it out and it was about as long as the table and then she cut it in pieces about three inches long. You could do two things with those. You put them in with the potatoes and cook them and they get nice and soft or you put them in the frying pan. And those were the strudels. And I'll tell you what, if it was done right, they were really good. Maybe not the most healthy, but they were really good. And I was raised on on dough and potatoes and those basic things. So there was a lot you could do with, uh, with bread. Now Jesus said, he said, I am the bread of life. I'm the bread of life. And he encouraged people to consume him. 
So you can read about Him. You can study about Him. You can listen to all kinds of sermons about Him. But until you consume Him, there's really the nourishment doesn't happen until you take Him and get Him into your system. The spiritual system. I want to talk, take a little time today to talk about Jesus. And Jesus encouraged us to believe in him. Now first is, uh, first is John chapter 15. You guys are all familiar with this, but we're going to just take a look at it anyway. John chapter 15. And Jesus said this. <clears throat> now he's comparing... Um, if you would put this in today's terms, we're not, well, some people are familiar because there's a lot of vine growers and grape growers around, uh, so w those people might be familiar. For the rest of us, maybe the better way to say, instead of saying, I'm the vine and the branches, if we would consider a peach tree and say, I'm the, vine, I'm the trunk, you're the branches, if we might relate to that a little bit better. But Jesus said, I'm the true vine and my father's the gardener. And then in verse 5 he says, I'm the vine, you are the branches. If a man remains in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit. For without me you can do nothing. If you take an apple tree that has apples on it, how, what must happen for those apples to mature? They have to stay connected. If you take the apples off and you put the apples back on, if you could do that, and you take them off and you put them on and you take them off and you put them on, will you have fruit? So the word abide means get with Jesus, stick with Jesus, be connected with Jesus, and then the fruit of the Christian life will happen within us. And we simply must trust that process. You cannot make an apple tree make apples. But if you connect it to a healthy apple tree, it's going to make apples. Or peaches or whatever. And the same thing with grapes. If they stay connected, automatically it's just going to happen through the grace and the power of God. Same thing in your Christian life. And Jesus says, get connected, get with me, stay with me, and you'll bear much fruit. Now, it doesn't happen overnight, but it will happen. Uh, have you ever been tempted to think that my Christian experience isn't happening quick enough? But do we believe God? And he says right here, he says, if you stay connected, it's going to happen. So our job is not to make it happen. Our job is to stay connected. And that's the greatest challenge. So Morris Vinden used to say, it's not really righteousness by faith because it's not our faith that makes it happen. He said it's righteousness by faith in Jesus. That's really a more correct way of saying it because it's not my faith. It's Him. I just trust it. I have confidence in it. I put my faith in it. My job is to get connected and to stay connected. So let's talk a little bit about Jesus. Here's a, a story about Jesus in Luke chapter 8. Luke chapter 8. <clears throat> and this follows 
This follows this story about Jesus and his mothers and brothers is one part of it. And then Jesus um, is calming the storm. And he gets out on the boat and he says in verse 22, Luke 8 chapter 22, he says, One day Jesus said to his disciples, the words of Jesus, now let's go over to the other side of the lake. So, they got into a boat and set out. As they sailed, he fell asleep. A squall came down on the lake so that the boat was being swamped and they were in great danger. The disciples went and woke him saying, Master, Master, we're going to drown. He got up and rebuked the wind and the raging waters. The storm subsided and all was calm. Now Jesus asked them a question. Where is your faith. And I'm saying to myself, what else would you expect them to do? So the picture is, they're going to the other side of the lake, they're rowing for all they're worth in this storm, a storm comes up, the waves get bigger, the water comes into the boat, they're beginning to think that they're going to lose their life in the middle. Now the lake isn't my, I mean, it's several miles wide, but it's not a big deal. But you know, yeah, I concluded, have you ever been in a blizzard out in the middle of nowhere? Uh, five miles turns into 50 real quick. And here they are in the middle of this storm, and a few miles turns into a long ways. And they're saying to themselves, now what are we going to do? and they try to save themselves by rowing. And they think they're going to lose their life, and finally it dawns them that they probably ought to call on Jesus. And so they do, and he gets up and he says, where's your faith? My question is, what else would you expect them to do? Is this a time to criticize them for a lack of faith? And then the story goes on. <clears throat> In fear and amazement, they asked one another, Who is this? He commands even the winds and the water, and they obey him. So you have two questions in this story. Number one, where's your faith? The other one is, who is this guy? Who is this guy? Even the winds and the waves obey him. Who is this person? And you really can't answer the first question until you answer the second one. Because if you're going to have faith, you've got to know who you're putting your faith in and who you're trusting. So who is this guy? Who is this man? I'm rowing for all I'm worth trying to get myself across this lake. And, and here's Jesus stands up and he calms just with a word. That's it. He says, it's okay. Just wind and waves. Just go away. It'll be okay. And everything calms down. And I sit there and I look at this and I ask myself, who can do this? Who is this guy? And that's the question we have to ask first because we got to know who we're putting our faith in. So you can't answer the first question until you answer or the second one. So who is it? Who is this man? 
So let's ask ourselves a couple questions about Jesus. I concluded, by the way, from this story, uh, after I read it and thought about it for a while, yeah, Jesus really does want me to have faith in him in even the worst circumstances, doesn't he? And I, you know, as I've experienced life, have you guys ever gotten into some bad stuff? You didn't know the outcomes. You didn't know where it was going. You didn't know where it was headed. You didn't know what was going to happen next. You're fearful about this, that, and the other thing. And I says, you know what? If Jesus can sleep in the back of the boat when a ship is sinking, probably I ought to learn how to do that too. And when my ship seems like it's going to sink, I think about this story. And I say, why not just rest? Why not just rest? Now, notice the words of Jesus. He said, let's get into the boat and let's go over to the other side. By the way, <clears throat> if he said you're going to the other side, guess what? You're going to the other side. It doesn't matter what happens in the middle. <laughs> We get fearful in the middle. But if Jesus says you're going to the other side, you're going to go to the other side. I mean, there's just no question about it. And if Jesus said, I'm coming again to take you home, it doesn't matter what it looks like. He's coming back to take us home. <laughs> it, doesn't matter what, it doesn't matter what the world looks like. It doesn't matter how it looks like it's caving in. It doesn't matter if it looks like it's all going to pieces. I mean, there's some there's stupid stuff happening. It's unbelievable, but it doesn't matter. Jesus said, I'm coming to take you home. And if he said he's coming, then he's coming. It doesn't matter what it looks like. So we should learn those lessons. And, and there, were, there were some other great things. You know, Peter's sinking on the, on the water, and, and, and he's going down, and he cries out to God, and Christ you know, reaches down and grasps a hold of his hand. And then Jesus says to Peter, well, where's your faith? And I'm, I'm finally concluding from these stories that what Jesus expects us and wants from us is faith. It doesn't matter what it looks like. It doesn't matter how bad it is. He just says, trust me. The greatest thing is trust me. Uh, I used to have church members and they'd say, you know, we'd talk about these things. He'd say, oh man, believing, you know, it's, too, it's, it's so easy. There's got to be more to it. And I'm saying to you that sometimes believing is the hardest thing you'll ever do. It's not always easy to believe. It's not always easy to trust. When it looks like my righteousness is going to pieces and I'm supposed to trust Him, that's not always easy to trust. It looks like when my life is failing, when my own righteousness is going downhill and I don't, it doesn't seem like it's working anymore, I'm still, still supposed to trust Him. Where is your faith? He asks me. It's never about your righteousness. It's always His, by the way. It's always His. So who is this Jesus? I want to take you to Genesis chapter 3. <clears throat> this is the first promise in Scripture of a coming Christ. He's talking to the devil after the fall of man. <clears throat> and 
And he says this, <clears throat> And I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. Now notice, notice these words. He, talking about God or about Jesus, he, he's talking to the devil now, he, Christ, will crush your head. And you will strike his heel. Now really the... <clears throat> The chronology is backwards. We really ought to say it this way. You're going to strike his heel, but he's going to get you on the head. When the devil struck Christ, when the devil struck humanity, it was a bite on the heel. It was bad. It was really bad. You look at the world around you, it's bad. But it's not ultimately fatal. Jesus was struck on the heel, but it wasn't fatal. But when Christ turns around and strikes the devil on the head, it's a fatal blow. And when it's like, it's like Christ is saying, like God is saying, listen, you might do so-and-so, but when it's all said and done, you lose, I win. It's a, no matter what happens, it's a bad blow to anybody. The sin problem is a bad problem to anybody. But when it's all said and done, the devil loses, God wins. And I got a better text than that coming up yet, okay? <laughs> All right. <clears throat> Let's go to, uh, to John chapter 1. Now, now notice this. It says, He will crush your head. It doesn't say we. It doesn't say they. It doesn't say a bunch of people. It talks about the crushing of the head is by He. He will crush your head. Singular. That's it. Why do we win? Because He wins. And we just put our faith and trust in Him. Alright? Uh, the Sabbath school lesson was about resting and being restless, you know, and, and sitting and, and being quiet and trusting in a time of disaster. We, you know, we can trust in Him. It's He who does the fatal blow not we. I want to take you to John chapter 1. When is this supposed to be over today anyway? Don't tell me it's wide open. When, when you're done. No, no, you don't want to say that. Start walking away. Huh? <laughs> okay. We'll go about... Uh, when do you usually close? 12.30? Okay. That'll work. John chapter 1. John chapter 1. <clears throat> A little background to the book of John. John chapter 1. Um, the other three, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, are synoptics. They kind of have the same theme, same time, so on. By the time John writes, it's about 30 years after the other three Gospels are written. <clears throat> By that time in the minds of the people, Jesus has been watered down in the minds of the people as a good man, a good teacher, this, that, and the other thing, but not the Son of God. 
So John wants to lift Jesus and put him back up on the pedestal, not inappropriately, very appropriately, where he belongs. Wants to set him up there, and he starts out right here in the beginning. Have you ever heard those words in the Bible before? Where do you hear the words in the beginning? Genesis. In the beginning. In the beginning, God. And here we come back to the same thing. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word here is capitalized. You go to John chapter, uh, verse 14, the Word became flesh. So who is the Word? We know who the Word is. The Word is Jesus. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. So he's making Christ an equal with God the Father. Through him, verse 3, excuse me, through him verse uh, in verse 3, all things were made, and without him nothing was made that has been made. So that makes Jesus the creator. Verse 4, in him was life. That's interesting, isn't it? In him was life. Where do I get life? In Him. Where do I have life? In Him. Why do I exist? Because of Him. He has a plan for me. I live and I exist because of Him. Uh, when you're young, give yourselves to Christ when you're young. He doesn't want you to wait till you're old. Give Him your life when you're young. That's what he is wanting. In him was life. And it says that life was the light of men. The newer version, this is uh, NIV in 1984, 1911. They updated it. <clears throat> they keep updating it. You go to uh, Biblic Biblica.com and they have the latest version. They keep updating some things in the new international version. I don't know if, they, if they're doing it little by little or if that's the 1911 version, but anyway, this has been updated. So the updated version would say, in him was life and that life was the light of all mankind because they're trying to make it inclusive, gender inclusive. So in him was life and that life was light. So you take things like life and light and joy and happiness and fullness and all of that and you put that into one camp and then you take things like death and darkness and pain and sorrow and all of that and you put that into the other camp. So you have two camps. Uh, when we get down to the end of time, by the way, and we talk about the mark of the beast, you know what the mark of the beast really is about? What happened in the Garden of Eden? Adam and Eve were faced with a decision. Who am I going to believe? Am I going to believe this one? Or am I going to believe this one? This one claims to be God. This one claims to be God. Which one do I believe? When we get to the end of time, it's a rerun of Adam and Eve because you have this one says I'm God and you have this one says I'm God and we have to decide which one of those two are we going to trust and which one of the two are we going to follow. That's really what it boils down to. And so you have here, in him was life. And when you read the Gospels, 
By the way, how do you, how do you connect with Jesus? Uh, the whole scripture really is talking, about, uh, is talking about Christ. You have a problem. What's the problem? The problem's identified right at the beginning of scripture in the first few pages. The problem was a failure to trust in God and to believe Him. See, that's the problem. God says, you have a tree, don't go near it, and the day you do, you're going to die, you're going to lose your life. Why is that? Trees poisonous? No. If they choose that, they separate themselves from the life giver. That's really why death comes, you separate yourself from the life giver. And so they have a choice. And somebody said, oh, you know, in the Bible, you identify the problem in the first few pages. Because in the beginning of the Bible, you have a world without sin. What do you have at the end of the Bible? A world without sin. And what, what's happening? You identify the problem in the first few pages. The rest, of the, the rest of the Bible is God dealing with the problem. How do I get people to trust me again? And I tell you, my heart saddens when we read through the Old Testament and God did so many wonderful things for those people. And what do they do? They turn away from Him to worship man-made gods. Isn't that amazing? They would take a stick, break it in half, use one half to cook their food, and make a god out of the other one and worship it. It's amazing and it's incredible. And it kept coming up over and over and over and over and over again. And they'd have a good leader, and they'd get on track. And then pretty soon they're worshiping other gods again. Get, on, get a good leader, and then they get on track, and then they start worshiping other gods again. It's amazing. God was not happy with them. And He wanted to bless them dearly. Particularly after the captivity of Babylon. 490 years, you've got these 70 weeks now to get rid of sin and to bring in righteousness. I'm going to do this for you. Will you just be faithful to me? Now they came, now they sort of made the other mistake. Now they got all the rules and they became legalistic. See, the other, the other gods weren't the answer, legalism wasn't the answer either. 4,000 years, and then the Apostle Paul says, and when the time had fully come, God sent His Son. 4,000 years. And when the time fully come, God sent His Son. He didn't send Him a year too early. He didn't send Him a year too late. He sent Him at the right time. In Him was life. And when you read the Gospels, how do you connect with Jesus? You read the Gospels. Dear Christ, show yourself to me. Spend time with Him in the Gospels. Well, the rest of it has it too, but particularly the Gospels. Have that time. Don't read the cookbook. Eat the potato. There's a difference between those two. We do all kinds of things, reading cookbooks. You won't have it, you won't have it until you eat the potato. That's what he wants. And Jesus came to the place where he said, I'm the bread. Eat me. Consume me. He said, Eat my flesh and drink my blood. Man, that was far out. 
And after that, some of the people left him and says, we can't, we're not following this guy anymore. The amazing thing is when you look at Genesis and what the devil was saying, he's speaking truth with an evil intent. You can eat this, it'll make you smarter. Well, that was true, all right, give you more knowledge. But it had an evil intent. Jesus comes along and he speaks the truth too. Eat my flesh, drink my blood. But he had a good intent, but it was far out. The other sounded good. This doesn't sound so good. But this was truth. We have to have our thinking caps on as to how we go about understanding these heavenly things. What was it that you read this morning? You know, it's the heavenly. We get involved in the heavenly things, and the heavenly is, is it's a different it's a different level. But spiritual things are spiritually discerned. And when you read Christ, he's always trying to draw people to himself. See? I'm the bread, I'm the lamb, I'm the water, I'm the rock, I'm the gate, I'm this, that, and there. He's using all kinds of illustrations to, dry, to draw people to himself. That's what I'm encouraging us today. We need to connect with Jesus. Take time to connect with Jesus. You know what your struggle is going to be? I got nine other th thousand other things to do. I don't have time for that. Jesus says, take time. Trust me with all the rest of it. I don't care if your, your ship looks like it's sinking. Come to me. Come to me. Here's the, here's the neatest text. <clears throat> I read this. I'd read it before. Somehow I didn't catch it. It's in Revelation 17. Revelation 17. <clears throat> Just talking about the ten horns and the and um, the beast and all of that. Verse twelve, John seventeen, verse twelve. This is about the battle between good and evil. As we get down to the end of time, the ten horns you saw are ten kings. We don't have time to go into all of that. Who have not yet received a kingdom, but who for one hour will receive authority as kings along with the beast. They have one purpose and will give their power and authority to the beast. Now here it comes. <clears throat> they will make war against the Lamb. You see, you, all, you always have this battle going on between good and evil, right? It's always going on. The battle's always fighting. Who's, who's going to take, who's going to have authority? Who's going to win in the end? Who can overcome the other one? The devil has some tricky stuff going on because he can deceive, tell lies, use untruths, state things that aren't true, all of that kind of stuff, state things that are true with evil intent, twist them a little bit, all of that kind of stuff's going on. And this is, this is what happens on that side of the fence. God can't do that. That's why it's taken him a long time to prove himself. But I think God is proving himself to be right. Don't you? I do. Anyway, they will make war against the Lamb. But the Lamb will overcome them. And what's the next word in this text? The Lamb will overcome them because... 
because it doesn't say how it doesn't say how he's going to do it or what he's going to do it makes one simple statement the lamb will overcome them because listen to this because he is Lord of Lords and King of Kings that's it you don't need a further explanation. You don't need other adverbs. You don't need other verbs. You don't need other nouns. You don't need other grammar. You have one simple thing. It's he overcomes them because he is Lord of Lords and King of Kings. That's it. Now here's, it even gets better than that. Watch this. And with him will be his called, chosen, and faithful followers. Isn't that amazing? If we'll get with Jesus and stick with Him, we're going to be in this group right here. Do you want to be with Him? Do you want life everlasting? Do you want life out of this world? <laughs> I tell you what, this world ain't all that's cracked up to be. We're beginning to realize that, aren't we? It's not worth chasing. It's not worth following. It's not worth going after. All the material things, the fancy this, that, and the other thing isn't going to get us anywhere, is it? Because when it's all said and done, this is where I want to be. Right here. A faithful follower of Christ. And my encouragement is to connect. Get with Him. Stay with Him. He is it. You can have all kinds of other stuff, but He's it. He's what's going to get you through. He's what's going to implant His character within you. It's His righteousness, not mine. How do we get it? Through faith in Him. Trust Him. Even if it doesn't look like it, trust Him, because that's what He says He's going to do. It's amazing. And one day we'll stand under the tree of life. And you know what? There's one other thing that Christ says, He says, go make disciples. And somebody gave me a whole bunch of these, uh, a bunch of little pack of these glow tracks, you know, if you ever, they're little pamphlets, you know, they talk, I have one, it's a love letter from Jesus. It's just a little thing, you open it up like that and you read it in about five minutes or so. It doesn't take very long. So I hand those out, go to the gas station, you pay for it. Oh, I just want to give you a little something to read. Most of the time people don't say anything. You don't know what happens after that. I came to know Jesus because somebody gave me a little something. And in it was a Bible text that said, 1 John 5, 11 to 13, He that hath the Son hath life, and he that hath not the Son of God hath not life. That brought me to Christ. And I grew up going to church every week. I went to Christian school. I went to Christian college. But somehow I missed it. And either, either I didn't hear it or it wasn't said. And I've talked to my contemporaries who grew up in this same thing. And they said, we don't think it was said. Somehow that got lost somewhere along the line. Anyway, so we're down in Arizona. <clears throat> and um, I stopped to get some gas. <clears throat> stopped to get some gas. And I wanted a receipt. And the pump didn't pump a receipt. 
It didn't say go see the cashier or anything. It just didn't pump a receipt. So I said, well, I want a receipt. So I go in there, walk in. Two people are ahead of me. There's a guy behind the counter and there's two people. So I get in the back of the line. I just stand there and when they're gone, I walked up and I said, uh, pump so-and-so. It didn't give me a receipt. I just want a receipt. And he runs it, gives me a receipt. And then I said, here, I just want to give this to you. He looks at it and he says, thanks. He said, I need right now all the help I can get. I'm serious. And with that I left. I don't know what's happened to that. We were traveling just a couple of weeks ago, stopped at a motel, had the little breakfast in the morning. Walked in, there's about six or seven people around several tables. There's one guy sitting at a table by himself. His hair, he's dressed really nice, he's dressed very nice, but his hair is all disheveled. It's long and it's all disheveled. And it looks like he's got some skin problems. And I kind of walked and talked to him and he was real friendly. He says, hi, you know, we talk, how are your day? Monday is good and blah, 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 just a little bit like that. And so we sat down to eat and he was still sitting there. While he's still sitting there, I went up to him with one of these and I said, here, I would just, I just want to give you this. Oh, he said, thanks. Well, I went back to eat. He left. Pretty soon he came back before we got done eating and he, read, he handed it out like that and he said, thanks, you just made my day. I came to Christ because of a little something somebody gave me. I believe in little things. They're powerful. Stick stuff in your shirt pocket. Carry it with you. Put it in your purse. Just take it out. Just give it to people. Just be nice, you know. One person, one person in the last couple of months out of, I don't know, probably a hundred people we've given these to, one person said, no, I don't want that. 99, the rest 99, I don't know what they do. They may throw it away, stick it in the corner, put it in the trash, give it to somebody, somebody else may find it. I don't know what happens to it. But one person said, no, I don't want it. That's it. So, you know, if they're out there, they have the potential of growing into something. Okay? So we need to share Christ with other people. I want to encourage you. Don't just read the cookbook, eat the potato.